Shalom, Mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And <laughs> we're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has finally come down to form one new man, one new humanity, getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar, oh, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. But I want to know one thing. Why is our God so misunderstood? Could it be that we don't understand the power of covenant and many times when bad things happen, like sickness, people dying before their time, divorce, these, you know, people are devastated. They say, I've served God my whole life. Why did God allow it? And I guess that's the operative word, allow. If God has all power, why did God allow it? Well, I have Craig Hill on the telephone, and he has just come out with The Power of Covenant, subtitled Stop Misunderstanding God, and a seven-CD series of 20 sessions, and for the first time in your life, step-by-step, number one, you're going to understand what is covenant. We in the West do not understand covenant. And if you don't understand covenant, how can you understand a covenant God? And that's why you blame God for things that he had nothing to do with. Well, Craig, uh, you talk about uh, man has two basic ditches they fall into when they're walking down a road. One ditch says God is in control. The other ditch says man is in control. Explain. The strategy of the devil is to get people to blame God for things that God had nothing to do with. And uh, it really has to do with, as you said, people don't understand covenant. And so in these two ditches, I, I found this is really true in every area of life, that truth is like a river or like a road, and on either side is a ditch. And the devil doesn't care which ditch you fall into, because either ditch will cause you to self-destruct. So in this area, when people are trying to understand what's going on in my life, is this something that God is allowing, or something that God is doing, or is it an attack from the devil, or is it just natural circumstances? What is going on? What we find is that, as you said, there are two different ditches, and, and the devil doesn't really care which side you fall into. The one ditch is where people think that God controls everything. And actually, we hear Christians say this uh, kind of phrase all the time, God is in control. And I understand really what they mean. But if you think about that, God is in control, uh, really control implies an absolute dominion over everything, manipulating every single circumstance in life. And if that were true, then that means that everything that happens on the earth is God's fault. And uh, that would mean that when you look and see horrible things that happen, injustice, uh, people uh, in certain countries beheading other people, uh, people doing horrific things to children, if you look at that and say, well, that's God's will because God is in control, the immediate conclusion you have to come to is, if God is like that, I want to have nothing to do with him. And, and you know, Craig, a lot of young people, that, that is coming out of their mouth like a mantra. 
Well, and, and that's what I found. If you go out in the street and talk to people that have no relationship with God, and you begin to try to tell them about Yeshua, the Messiah, and explain to them what he has done and the opportunity available for their sin to be forgiven and for them to be connected, they will always bring up some horrific thing that happened in their family or to somebody they know, and they will say, if your God is so loving and your God is so powerful, then why did this happen? And everybody has a different you know, why did my little sister die of leukemia at age four? That's unjust. It's not right. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And uh, people are not understanding that, uh, in reality, in that sense, God is not in control. What that means is God is sovereign, uh, and, and sovereignty implies a dominion and authority over something, but and not a manipulative control of every circumstance on the on the planet. And what we find uh, is, is that one ditch, and that's the most common ditch that people fall into, is believing uh, that God is in control in the sense that uh, it's really what uh, Muslim people believe, which is kesara uh, sarah, or in Arabic, insha'Allah, which means whatever will be, will be. And everything that happens is God's will. And uh, that is not biblical. That's not what we see in the Bible. There are many, many things that are happening on the earth that are not God's design, not God's plan, not what God had in mind at all. And uh, so in the one ditch, we see people that think that everything that happens in their life and everything that happens on the planet is God's will. And I think that ultimately leads to people blaming God for evil on the earth and specifically for the evil that's happened in their lives. And the second ditch is over on the other side, where people say, well, God is, is like a force out there that just sort of wound up the earth and left it unto it itself and really doesn't have uh, much of any influence on what goes on at all, and it's all up to man. It's all up to us. And uh, both of those things are, are lies. Neither of those are true. Well, well, you know, the phrase that comes to me, Craig, is have you ever heard a Christian say, God works in mysterious ways? And that's another way of saying, I can't figure God out. That's exactly right. And I think what's so critical, Sid, for people to understand and what, what we've gone through, as you said, step by step in this book, The Power of Covenant, Stop Misunderstanding God, is for people to understand God is not random. God is not mysterious. God uh, acts specifically in accordance with his word. And his word is directly in alignment with his nature and his character. So God will always do things absolutely consistent with his character, and God will always do things absolutely consistent with his word. And so what we found is when people understand what God has said in his word, they will understand what God is going to do, because God will do exactly what he said. But if people don't understand, God's word is a covenant. God has made a covenant with us. It's irrevocable. It's uh, it's, it's, it can't be broken. It won't be changed. God will do exactly what he said. I mean, he's a very simple example for people to understand. When there was a flood years ago on the earth, uh, we read in Genesis, the entire earth was flooded, and, uh, and God said to Noah after the flood, I give you my sign, a rainbow in the sky. This is a covenant promise. I will never again flood the earth. That's a covenant promise. Now we might hear today, somebody might hear news, oh my goodness, the polar ice caps are melting, and uh, it looks like there's going to be enough water to flood the entire earth, or something like that. How would we interpret that? 
very simply. We'd know that's not coming from God. Why? Because God gave his word, he would never flood the earth again. We can know that 100% certain. We don't have to guess about it. We don't have to wonder about it. So we can know what God will do when we understand the covenant that God has made with us. Oh, okay. Here's what most people are asking. And they're saying, if, uh, if God has all power and he is love, why doesn't he just stop all those, all of those uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking in, in Africa uh, where they killed all of those young students in the school? Why didn't he just stop those Muslims from doing that? Yeah, that's exactly the question that we want to get at and that we get at in this book, Sid. Such an excellent question. And I would answer it this way. There's actually something that God does not have, something that God lacks. And people, you know, when they hear me say that, they say, God lacks something? What, what, what could God lack? I mean, he's, he's almighty. He's God. He's sovereign. He's, he's the ruler of the universe. What could he lack? So I began looking at what does God have and what does he lack? We find out God has knowledge. He has all knowledge. He knows everything. He's, he has wisdom. He's, he's incredibly wise. He knows what needs to be done. He knows exactly how to eliminate evil and injustice. He's certainly aware of evil and injustice. He has power. He certainly has the ability, like you said, to eliminate evil and justice. He has love and goodness and kindness. But the problem that God faces is God also uh, has to be totally just, and he can't selectively eliminate evil. So if God were to eliminate one evil, he would have to eliminate all evil, or somebody could accuse him of not being fair, not being just. And the problem is, there's evil that's yet resident in every single one of us. In order for God to eliminate all evil, he would have to eliminate all people. Now, I was saying God lacks something. What does God lack? God has knowledge, God has wisdom, God has power, God has love and goodness. What God lacks on the earth is authority. And people say, authority? What do you mean God lacks authority? And what I realized, Sid, was this. When we just start way back in the very beginning of Genesis, and it says uh, that when God created man, in verse 28, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What did God give away? He gave away something in that very statement that he made to Adam and Eve. He didn't give away ownership. He still owns the earth. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What he gave away to Adam and Eve was authority. So God had authority over the earth. He gave delegated authority to Adam and Eve. And and that's the operative word. He had the authority, but he delegated it. So I guess we would say if God is... Uh, righteous, if he delegated it, he can't just take it back. It, what, the, the best analogy I know in human terms, said to understand it, is a lease. It, it's like an apartment building. If, if you live in an apartment building, you and your wife rent an apartment, uh, the landlord, let's say, signs a lease with you for, let's say, a term of one year. Now, whose apartment building is it? It's still the landlord's. It's still the owner's. He still owns it. What did he give up by signing the lease? He gave up authority. And uh, what does that mean? 
that means that that owner of that building no longer has the right to come in your apartment and move furniture around. He can't come in and say, well, I don't like this picture over here. We're going to move it over there and move that couch over there. No, he can't do that. Why? He voluntarily limited himself of what he is able to do in that apartment when he signed that lease with you. And really, what God did in Genesis 1, verse 28, is signed a lease with man for, on the earth, and I imagine the term of the lease is about 6,000 years. And that lease term is just about up. We read in Daniel, we read in Revelation, what's going to happen when the term of the lease expires, the owner returns. That's when Yeshua, the Messiah, returns to earth, the true owner, everything changes. All bets are off, and he will deal directly with the forces of evil, with Satan and demonic spirits at that time. But during this time that we live in right now, what happened is God gave authority to man. Satan came on the earth, and Satan had, he got kicked out of heaven. He had no authority from God. He had no authority on the earth. In order for Satan to do anything on the earth, he had to find a way to access authority because he had no authority over the earth. And what he did he found a way to deceive Adam and Eve to access their authority. If you look at what this entire thing, uh, this entire deception going on in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, why the serpent came to Adam and Eve to deceive them, what was he after? Ultimately, he was after their authority. So he was after the lease that God gave them, and he used deception to get that lease. That's right. And, and once he got, I mean, the incredible thing said is that uh, the, the devil convinced Adam and Eve to voluntarily give up the authority that God had given them over the earth, which they did. And now Satan had access to Adam's authority to operate on this earth. He set up his kingdom of death, sickness, disease, destruction, devastation, evil, injustice, all those horrible things. Not one of those things existed in the garden before Adam gave authority, Adam and Eve gave authority uh, to Satan. Satan set up his kingdom with all those destructive things, and a battle ensued. Now, the incredible thing that happened that's, that, that's really amazing is Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, when he came to earth and he rose from the dead, what did he remove? What did he take back from the devil? And the answer is, he took back authority. That's what the resurrection is all about. I'm reminded of the words of the Messiah. All authority has been given to me. All. A-L-L. When you see that, what does that mean, uh, without explaining it at this moment, if someone understands covenant, the most misunderstood term here in the West, if someone understands covenant— and what the Messiah really did for us, what will their life be like? I mean, their life would be totally different because, you know, what, what, what's amazing, I heard just a very simple story sort of illustrating this. A man bought a ticket for passage on a ship, and all the meals were included for an ocean voyage from Europe to America. The problem was he didn't read the fine print on the ticket, never partook of any of the meals on a ship, walked by the restaurant watching other customers, other passengers, eating incredible seven-course meals and wishing he had had enough money to uh, go into the restaurant. And only upon arrival in New York found out from one of the stewards that all the meals were included in the ticket. 
I believe that's how many believers actually live. Covenant is the ticket. If people never understood what was included in the ticket, they live their lives like people who have no covenant whatsoever. And back, back looking at what Messiah did for us, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, very interesting thing, verse 8, he said the wisdom, he said what we are preaching is the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What he's saying is Satan and demonic spirits made the hugest mistake of all eternity when they crucified Messiah, and he rose from the dead because what they gave away without realizing it was the authority they had taken from Adam. And exactly what you said is true. When Yeshua rose from the dead, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. What did he do with that authority? He didn't take it to heaven with him. That authority is not sitting right now on the right hand of the Father in heaven. He gave that authority back to us as believers. And right now, Satan and demonic spirits have absolutely no authority on this earth because Yeshua took it from them when he rose from the dead, gave it back to us. But that isn't going to do us any good if we don't know that. And we don't know what that means. And we don't know how to exercise it. We don't know how to walk in it. And uh, that's what's critical, is it doesn't do you any good to have a covenant, just like it didn't do the man on the ship any good to have a ticket, if you don't know what's included in the ticket, and you don't know how to access it, and how to exercise it, and how to walk in it, and how to actually apply it. And consequently, the enemy through deception comes and ravages your life with destructive things, and then turns right around and says, God let that happen. Well, you know, it just dawns on me uh, that most Christians, because they don't, and when we come back, I want you to explain what does covenant really mean? What benefits are there for us to walk in the covenant that God has already uh, given us? It'll make a difference in your health. It will make a difference in your finances. It'll make a difference in your family. It'll make a difference in you fulfilling your destiny. So I can't wait to get this brand new book into your hands, The Power of Covenant. Stop Misunderstanding God. And then a whole teaching series, 20 sessions, so that you will so understand covenant. Step by step, Craig Hill is a powerful teacher. Step by step, you will fill in the blanks so you can do what God promises is in his word. We're making the seven CD series of 20 sessions of teaching plus the book, The Power of Covenant, available for investment of $45. And I want you to know that when you get this tool that will allow you to stand and not settle for the lies and agree with the lies of the devil, because that's why God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But it is solid, solid, line upon line teaching. But any profits we make from this as a ministry are poured into, like this morning, I got a copy of our television show, It's Supernatural, in Hebrew. Do you know where it's being played? It's being played on television. 200,000 homes in Israel, homes, are receiving this. It's the hottest show on the air in Israel, in Hebrew. Uh, We're on seven nights a week, 
And you're, when you bless yourself by getting the tools we put before you that have been reviewed and that are solid, solid teaching, you are helping to reach 200,000 families in Israel with the gospel. Such a deal. We'll be right back and explain covenant. Call our order only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. This is Sid Roth, the Jewish man that is Meshuga for Yeshua. In fact, Meshuga for Yeshua means crazy for Jesus. We're thinking of calling our new radio slash TV, internet TV show, uh, Meshuga for Yeshua. What do you think of that, Craig Hill? You know, Sid, we're all Meshuga in some way, so you've got to be Meshuga for somebody. So it's just a matter of deciding who are you Meshuga for, Jesus, for yourself, for the devil, for money, for what? I'd rather be Meshuga for Yeshua myself. Yeah, me too. Now, let me let me ask you this. There are people that are totally, as far as I'm concerned, confused because they misunderstand God. That's why we have you on this radio show, because we want our mishpucha to understand the power of covenant and stop misunderstanding God. What are some areas in which we misunderstand God, Craig? I, I think one of the very first areas, Sid, that is so critical to understand is God is not the author of sickness. I've heard many people say, well, you know, God is punishing me by giving me cancer, or God is punishing me through a car accident. Or God is, or, or how about this? Uh, God is teaching me to be humble through getting cancer. Right. Uh, and uh, what we what we know, I mean, here's a covenant promise right here in First John chapter three, verse eight. It said, "The Son of God appeared for this purpose that He might destroy the works of the devil." Now we we realize sickness isn't coming from God. Sickness is a work of the devil. And if Messiah came to destroy the works of the devil, if sickness was coming from God, then Messiah would be working against God, because Messiah came to destroy those works, and yet here are people saying, well, that thing's from God. And those same people that say that thing is from God, then they go to a doctor to get rid of that thing from God. Talk about Meshuggah. That's completely Meshuggah. Why would you go to a doctor to try to get rid of sickness? If you believe it's from God, you should submit to it and cooperate with it. I bet. <laughs> what are some other areas? Well, finances, again, is one of those things. A lot of times uh, people think that God is one who is going to just uh, wants them to be poor and, and that it would be spiritual to be poor. Uh, and uh, really, finances is just a tool that's put in our hands to accomplish a kingdom purpose. Money is just something that, that, that God gives to us to accomplish a kingdom purpose. It's amoral. It's neither good nor bad. But a lot of people think, well, God is removing finances in order to teach me something again. And again, I think the thing that's critical, Sid, is it said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he, not that he might use the works of the devil to teach you something, but that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that is a strong, strong covenant, covenant promise. Craig, when was the first time that you began to understand covenant? I mean, you, you, you have wonderful Christian parents. I'm sure you were raised in a church situation. But 
when did you come to understand covenant? Most Christians have heard the term, but I find few that understand covenant. It was really in my early 20s, and I was reading through Ephesians chapter 2 one day, and it said in verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and Holy Spirit just illuminated that verse. It was like it jumped off the page, uh, verse 12, stranger to the covenant of promise. And I heard him say, even though you're born again, even though you're in relationship with God by the blood of Messiah, you're still a stranger to the covenants of promise. I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, what it means is that you're like the man on the ship that we talked about earlier. You purchased the ticket, you have the ticket, but you have no idea what's included in that ticket. And because of that, you're not able to do anything with the ticket that you have. And uh, I, I began to study out then what is a covenant, and I realized that in order for a covenant to do you any good, three things must be true. Number one, you have to be in covenant, so you have to be born again. You have to have accepted Yeshua as Messiah, otherwise what he did for you when he rose from the dead, took back authority from the devil and gave it to you, it, you don't have it if you're not in that covenant. The second thing is you have to know what that covenant means, and not just in your mind, but actually in the depths of your heart. And thirdly, you have to have enough confidence in what that covenant, what God said by covenant, to be willing to apply it and to enforce it against enemies. You know, there's a, an incredible uh, story. I, I put this story in the book, Sit uh, on the Power of Covenant, but uh, there was a woman that uh, one day was just having her quiet time and and a reading in the Bible, and she came, it just came across in her regular reading, Isaiah chapter 54. And uh, there was a scripture there in verse 15 that the Holy Spirit just quickened to her, and it said, If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. And the Holy Spirit said, That's for you. So she grabbed hold of that, and the Holy Spirit said, memorize that, meditate on it. And she did. So she was meditating on that, realizing that is a part of the covenant promise that God had made, and it was specifically for her. She didn't know why or what she needed it for. About two weeks later, she lived alone. There was a knock that came at the door one evening. She opened the door. A rapist broke in. A man broke in, put a knife to her throat, and said, I'm going to rape you. And instantly she was remembering a television show she'd seen where the police had said, you know, most of the time that if you resist a rapist, he will kill you. A lot of homicides occur uh, when people try to resist and probably better not to, to just cooperate with him. She was remembering that information. And then she was remembering this word that she had gotten from God. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. And uh, she thought, what do I do? She had to make a split-second decision, and she decided, I'm going to go ahead and enforce this covenant word that I have from God in this specific circumstance. So when the man said, I'm going to rape you, she turned and looked at him, and she said, no, you're not. She said, as a matter of fact, I'm in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is that he's in me, and I'm in him, and whatever you do to me, you do to him. What have you come here to do today, to rape Jesus Christ? <laughs> the man said, what? What? What, what, are you what? And she said, yes, whatever you do to me, 
You do to him, we are one. We are in covenant. I'm in him. He's in me. And she said, furthermore, I'm the apple of his eye. That's the promise he gave me. Apple is a Hebrew idiom. It means pupil. I'm the pupil in God's eye. Right now, you've got your finger in God's eye. And uh, the man said, what? What are you talking about? And he said, "Uh, if you don't cooperate with me, I'm going to kill you. She said, I don't know whether it's my day to die today or not, but it really doesn't matter because my life belongs to him. I'm in covenant with him. He decides, not you. You have no authority over my life. She said, furthermore, God gave me this apartment. I have authority in this apartment. You have no authority here. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, leave this apartment. Well, the man was just baffled. He didn't know what to do. He was shocked. Nobody ever spoke to him like that. And uh, he tried everything he knew to do for about 10 minutes to get that woman in fear. Finally, he turned and fled, ran out of the apartment. You know, the spirit that was operating through him, Sid, could not find a place of authority in that apartment to do what he had come there to do. And the reason was, this was a woman who understood covenant. And she also understood the power of attorney that we have to use the name of Jesus. Explain that. Well, that's exactly right. What, what she understood was this, that when I enter into covenant, he has given me his name. And most people don't understand what the name means. I would explain it this way. Suppose somebody gave you, well, well, suppose, let's say, a very wealthy man such as Bill Gates, he would be a man in our country that most people would be familiar with, would know. Suppose Bill Gates wrote a power of attorney paper and said, I give you authority to act on my behalf and to be my representative. Whatever you say is the same as I said it. Well, you could take that power of attorney paper, go to a bank where Bill Gates keeps his money, and say, I'd like to withdraw $50 million. Why would anyone want a power of attorney from Bill Gates when they can get a power of attorney from the creator of the universe? And which one is more powerful? (laughs) People would go, wow, if I had a uh, power of attorney from a powerful, wealthy man like that, everything would be wonderful. But really, look at what kind of power is available from the God of the universe And uh, so we don't have authority to use the name of a powerful or wealthy human like that. We have the authority to use the name of Jesus, the Messiah. And uh, that's exactly what this woman did. And uh, she used that, that power of attorney. She understood that. And that spirit operating through that man was not able to function in that context. He ran away. Now, now let me just give you a contrast, Sid. The man uh, later, he ran down the street, broke into another woman's apartment, and successfully raped her. Uh, It was just a news story. And uh, later on, they caught him and and jailed him. But imagine the experience of these two different women, the one that that, uh, was raped. And and, uh, in her heart, she might be blaming God and saying, God, where were you? God, why didn't you save me? Why didn't you help me? And if you look at the difference between these two women, what was the difference? Did God love the first one more than the second one? Of course not. Was it a different God? Same God. Same power. Same authority was available to both of them. The only difference was one of them was in covenant, understood the provision of that covenant with a very specific promise that God had given her, and was willing to enforce it against an enemy And the outcome in her life was completely different than the outcome in the other one. So the second one ends up devastated, blaming God, crying out, going, God, where were you? Why didn't you help me? Why weren't you there for me? 
And the first one comes out of that experience understanding or having confirmed, wow, God's word is true. I can rely on it. And here's the difference. The person that does not not understand covenant doesn't understand the power of attorney you were just talking about. When crisis comes to that person's life, that person will always cry out, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The person that understands covenant will always cry out, what has God said? Because if I understand what God has said, I can understand what God will do, and I can apply that. You know, I sense, Sid, there's somebody listening right now that's been devastated in a circumstance like that, that's been deeply, deeply wounded and been crying out in your heart, uh, God, why did this devastating circumstance happen to me? Why? Did the, why? Where were you? What happened? And I want to just pray for you right now. Father, I pray that you would speak truth, because I can see in my sister's life, for so long a time, the enemy has said, it's because God doesn't love you. It's because you don't matter. It's because you mean nothing. It's because God doesn't care about you. He cares about everybody else, but you mean nothing. Father God, what is the truth? Would you speak to this one right now? Speak to your daughter. What's the truth? What do you say to her? What do you say to her? Can you hear him speaking? He's speaking to you right now. I hear him saying things like, I love you. I love you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Nothing that has happened to you determines your future. You are who I say you are. Allow me to heal you. And I hear the Lord Jesus himself saying, I was devastated. They hung me on a tree. Naked, laughed at me and killed me. I let that happen because I saw you. And I wanted to make a divine exchange. If you will let me take your pain, your shame, your wounding, I will give you my glory, my power, and I will heal your heart. Craig, briefly tell me about the woman that was born out of wedlock. It sounds so similar to what you're saying right now. And you prayed with her to exchange her shame for God's righteousness. What she didn't understand, Sid, is that what happens in covenant is there's a divine exchange. And she had been conceived uh, and born out of wedlock and always had a feeling in her heart, I just don't belong. I'm a mistake. My parents didn't want me. I shouldn't even be here. And that feeling was in her heart. And uh, I, she said, would you pray for me? And I said, sure. And uh, I, so I asked the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to pray? What should I pray? And I heard uh, Yeshua say exactly this. He said, tell her this. All my earthly life, when I walked on this earth, everybody thought I was illegitimate because they didn't understand my birth. Who could understand a child conceived of the Holy Spirit with no human man involved? And he said, I walked all the days of my life being called that hideous name, bastard, illegitimate. And... uh, He said, tell her I bore the shame of that all my days on earth because I wanted to bear that for her, and she never knew that. Tell her today, if she will let me, I want to exchange her shame for my glory. Because when I walked on this earth, I never received the glory that was due 
who I actually was. I bore the shame of illegitimacy all my earthly life, and I want to exchange with her. When I told her that, she just burst into tears, and she said, really? Would he do that for me? And I said, he already has. Will you let your shame go to him? And uh, she said, yes, I will. And I saw a miracle happen right before my eyes, Sid. I saw that shame lift off her like somebody lifted off a literal cloak, like lifting off a coat or a garment. And uh, it was gone. And I saw the countenance in her face change. A light came to her countenance. And uh, the, the glory of the Messiah came all over her. And uh, she was instantaneously changed. Uh, her husband said uh, later, what happened to my wife? She, she looks different. She relates differently to me. She, uh, she's thinking differently. What happened? And I said, what happened is she finally entered into the reality of covenant and let the shame that she'd been wearing all her life that the devil put on her go and receive the glory that Jesus, the Messiah, had reserved for her. She finally let that exchange take place. You told me supernaturally she literally felt the Messiah remove the shame. What did she say? What she said, Sid, is that there was a supernatural experience. She literally felt the Messiah remove this cloak of shame, and he wrapped her with his own royal garment of his glory and his honor. And she literally felt it like a cloak being removed and a new royal robe being placed upon her changed the feeling and the experience of her entire life. Well, when people really understand covenant, and by the way, when we come back and it's all, you know, you know it really has to be built line upon line uh, as this course that we're offering by Craig Hill. Uh, it's 20 sessions to understand the power of covenant and the, and the book and the, and the subtitle, Stop Misunderstanding God. Once you understand covenant by a world-class teacher that's going to teach you line upon line, sentence upon sentence, word upon word, you're going to get ingrained inside of you the understanding of covenant and no devil in hell. We'll be able to talk you out of it. And we're making this entire course available for an investment of $45. I say investment. Let me tell you something else we're doing. I just found this out a couple of days ago. We have a YouTube channel. Do you know with our TV shows, do you know we have 100,000 subscribers? Wow. We have per month between 700 and 900,000 views that we're pumping the truth of the reality of God, the supernatural of God, and how people can now become ambassadors. Uh, and we're making the, the entire course, the seven-CD set of 20 sessions in the book that is entitled The Power of Covenant, Stop Misunderstanding God, available for investment of $45. And we will pour into Jewish ministry and into teaching believers to be all that God's called them to be with any profits we make. So if you can include something extra besides the $45, do it. I mean, if not now, when? We're in the last of the last days. When we come back, Craig, you've got to, in a simple fashion, I know it's just a short period of time, explain covenant. We'll be right back. Call our order-only line, 
1-800-447-2697. Sid Roth here saying, I am Meshuggah for Yeshua. Meshuggah is a Hebrew word that means crazy, and Yeshua means is a Hebrew word, and that was the original name of Jesus for Jesus. Who are you Meshuggah for? I'm Meshuggah for Yeshua. We're all Meshuggah for someone. I'm Meshuggah for Yeshua. Well, I'm here with Craig Hill, and I think it's time you stop being a stranger. And that, that's what the Holy Spirit told Craig one day. You are a stranger to my covenants. Explain briefly, what is covenant and what does it mean to us, Craig Hill? It's happened in our Western culture, Sid. I believe that we've exchanged the concept of covenant for the concept of contract, so we don't understand what a covenant is anymore. Here's what a covenant is. It's the most solemn agreement known to man. A covenant is a promise that is broken only by one thing, by death. So when a man makes a covenant and he says certain things, I will do this and this and this, that is 100% certain. You can count on the fact that he will do that. He would rather die than break his word. That's a covenant. Today, we don't have that concept. Where is a picture of something where a man would rather die than break his word? Why, in our culture, people would rather break their word than miss lunch. And, uh, and so it makes it difficult for us to understand that God is a God of covenant. The Bible is not a storybook. It's not a history book. It's a book of covenants. It's a book where God gave his word to very specific people, and ultimately, in the end, he gave his word to every one of us by the blood of his son, Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. And so a covenant is unilateral, unconditional, irrevocable, indissoluble. A contract, on the other hand, is bilateral, conditional, revocable, dissoluble. The best way I can think of said to contrast that is a covenant is like a gift. A contract is like a sale. What I mean by that is suppose I have a car and I want to sell it and somebody wants to pay me $10,000 for it. What's going to happen if they give me the $10,000, I will give them the car. But if they don't give me the $10,000, I don't have to give them the car. That's a contract. A covenant, on the other hand, would be this. If I say, Sid, I love you, brother, and because I love you, I'm going to give you a car. That's not conditional upon you doing anything. That's unconditional and is dependent only upon my integrity to keep my word. That's a covenant. Suppose you even do things to hurt me, or you get angry with me, and you lie about me, or, or do things to discredit me. Do I still have to give you my car? And the answer is yes, if it's a covenant because it's not dependent on anything you do. And that's what's so difficult for people to understand. Most have missed that in the West. They, they don't even, they've never even heard it, let alone it be difficult to understand. That's exactly right. And as a result of that, most people think, well, God, wouldn't, God won't do what he promised for me because I don't deserve it. I haven't measured up. I haven't read the Bible enough. I haven't uh, prayed enough or whatever. And uh, it, it's not... Uh, it's not about that. So that's where the deception of the devil comes in of what the Messiah did for us. Exactly, because what he actually did is he took the authority back from the devil, he gave it to us, and it's not dependent on our works. It's not dependent on what we do or don't do. It's dependent upon him fulfilling his word. That's why I said before, 
if I know what God has said, I will know what God is going to do. And if I know what God is going to do, I can rely upon that 100% that, that God is going to do exactly what he said. But uh, we have to have an understanding of what God actually said in his word and be willing to apply it in crisis circumstances. Okay, speaking of crisis, you sure had a crisis. Uh, you went on a ski trip. Uh, your, your son has his skull crushed in an accident. Uh, tell me what happened, because it's, it's good to be teaching this to believers all over the world, Craig Hill. But what happens when the rubber meets the road, uh, when your own son is dying? Your son, uh, that's quite difficult. Uh, my son was 15 years old at the time, and uh, my wife and I, my, my two kids had gone off snowboarding on their own in the morning, and my wife and I got to the top of one of the chairlifts at the ski area and saw my name on the message board. So I went to the ski patrol shack and uh, said my name, and uh, this lady there turned around to a guy behind me or behind her and said, you better tell him. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what? And uh, so the guy said, well, about 45 minutes ago, your son went off a jump down there and uh, landed on the ice without a helmet. And he has about the most severe brain injury I've ever seen. Uh, we sedated him. And- now, they must see a lot of brain injuries on that ski slope. But that, that is saying something. They do, and I mean, uh, immediately the devil tried to overwhelm us with fear because the, the, the kind of thing he was imparting to us, you know, he was looking at us like your son might die or might have perma- he might be a vegetable the rest of his life or permanent brain damage, and, and uh, you better get down to the hospital right away. Well, uh, uh, my wife Jan was with me, and I said, well, before we go down, we're going to pray and take authority over the fear that the enemy's trying to put on us right now. So we did that, and uh, I had just uh, spoken in in our church a series on blood covenant, and I was reminding myself of my own teaching. In crisis, the non-covenant man says, what are we going to do? The covenant man says, what has God said? So I said, what has God said? Well, we had all kinds of prophetic words over our son that God had said, not to mention what he had said in the Bible, that he would heal us. Psalm 103 says that he will heal, take all our diseases, all, forgive all our iniquities, heal all our diseases. And, uh, and so we knew that it was not that, that this uh, devastating brain injury was not from God. We knew it was the enemy trying to destroy our son. So we got down to the uh, hospital and waited for uh, him to come out, and they had taken a CAT scan. And when we saw him, he had tubes coming out of every, uh, every part of his body and looked just terrible. Well, we prayed and just took authority, uh, used the authority of the name of Yeshua that God had given us, and we said, He shall live and not die, and He shall be restored and fulfill every word that God has spoken over him. And uh, the doctor then came out and said, Well, <clears throat> we, we've had a CAT scan. And there are two real serious uh, areas of concern that uh, where there's swelling and looks like there's significant damage, and and uh, we need to airlift him immediately to the big city to uh, Denver, uh, where they he's going to have to have some neurosurgery immediately because uh, there's some some severe brain damage there. And uh, so uh, I got in the plane, and my wife got in the car and drove back with uh, our younger son to town, and. I flew in the plane, and uh, the nurse that was with him, you know, was was acting very, very concerned. And I was just praying, and I was at peace because I knew what God had said. Well, when we got to the hospital in Denver, they checked him in, 
and uh, it took a couple of hours. They came back, and the neurosurgeon, uh, uh, f- first the, uh, the uh, emergency doctor came and said, well, it turns out he has a broken elbow and a ruptured spleen, and we're going to have to watch those carefully. Uh, but I said, well, thank you for that information. Now we know how to pray about that. And uh, then the neurosurgeon came in, and uh, she said something very interesting. She said, uh, well, you know, it's hard to actually believe that this is the same patient uh, that had the CAT scan from uh, the hospital up in the mountains because... Uh, and also the report of of these experts, so to speak, on the ski slope, uh, this is the most severe brain injury I've ever seen. That's what the ski patrolman said. I mean, he said, honestly, he said, uh, when I arrived, he said, your son was unconscious and spastically flailing around like a chicken with his head cut off, and I was afraid he was going to die right there on the slope. Okay, you you then did what you teach people to do in this course that we're offering. What is your son's brain like today? Is he slow? Does he speak uh, uh, stilted? Is he is he behind in school? What's his status today? What amazingly happened, Sid, is he was supernaturally healed. And I believe it was right when we prayed for him in the hospital up in the mountains, because when they took a, another CAT scan in the, in the hospital in Denver, the lady said, well, the two areas of damage that we saw in the CAT scan from the mountains just aren't there anymore. And uh, she said, it's, it's hard for me to believe, actually, that it's the same patient. But she said, you know, sometimes something in the brain sort of heals itself unexplainably, and we don't really know what happened, and we can't explain it. But but anyway, it looks like uh, all is well. Now, now, you have your choice. You can be Meshuggah for Yeshua or Meshuggah for something else. I like being Meshuggah for Yeshua. Tell, tell me briefly uh, that uh, th- th- there is a wrong way to respond to adversity. What's the wrong way? Well, the worst thing that people can do is blame God. Uh, and so many times people will, will uh, blame God and just give up. And, and just accept whatever the devil is doing in their life. Other times, people will blame God and not give up, but they will be angry at God and, and fight against God. Other people blame themselves and uh, just passively give up or blame themselves and, again, get filled with bitterness toward God. And uh, none of those will work well. Uh, what works well, and, well, let me say one other thing people do. Sometimes people blame another person. They say, well, it was the, it was the fault of the, the ski slope management that didn't close that area off or whatever. Uh, so they'll blame other people. And if you end up with bitterness in your heart toward people or toward God or, or a lot of self-pity toward yourself, nothing ever changes. The thing that actually does work is when people will run into relationship with God, run toward God and recognize God is my only source of help. And, you know, to answer your last question, Sid, in the end, my son incurred no permanent damage whatsoever from, uh, from that uh, ski accident. Uh, he was restored just to uh, the same as he was before and, uh, and no, no damage whatsoever. But when people will run into relationship with God and uh, they will say, what has God said? Let the Holy Spirit give them direction and uh, and deal with whatever's in their own heart, their own bitterness, their own anger, their own fear. Deal with those things and then find out what God has said and enforce God's word against enemies. 
it completely changes the outcome of life every single day. And I love it when you, you say the effective way to respond is to ask the question, what has God said? As his covenant partner, what has God said about this situation? You know, that's really the key is uh, in any moment of crisis, whether it's physical crisis, relational crisis, financial crisis, I just sense right now somebody's uh, battling a huge marital crisis. You're wondering if your marriage is even going to survive. And the Father says, if you will ask me and stop just saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? God will change everything in your life. And uh, that is true. In every kind of circumstance, we have an opportunity to come to God and say, God, what have you said? What is your word to me about my circumstance? What did you say in your Bible? What do you say by your Holy Spirit? Or we can remain in that place of self-pity or that place of blame or that place of anger toward God or just in that place of saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do instead of what has God said? Okay, Greg, you were a stranger of the covenant. Most of the people listening to us are strangers to the covenant. Now that you are not, what difference has it made in your life? Well, what I find, said is that uh, none of us on planet Earth, because we live in a fallen world where the devil and demonic spirits are still operative and people still sin, there's lots of injustice that comes into my life. Lots of things that happen that I don't like. The difference is, rather than just... Uh, being angry at God or being in self-pity or being bitter toward people, the difference is I now ask that question all the time. God, what have you said? And when I find out what God has said, then I can take his word, know that he is a keeper of his covenant, 100% faithful, he will do exactly what he said. And what I find said is that when I do that, God does the supernatural things that I couldn't do. No, I wish we could have gone into the depth of covenant. I mean, every believer in the world must understand covenant from a biblical perspective, and that's why you've designed this course, 20 sessions on CD, plus your book, The Power of Covenant, Stop Misunderstanding God. We're making the entire course available for investment of $45. If you can put anything extra in and any profits made, I want you to know it is poured into Jewish ministry. For instance, did you know that as we speak, 6,000 soldiers in Ukraine are receiving the booklet in the Ukrainian language, I witness the last day on planet Earth. And this is in the Ukrainian language. It has got an approach to evangelism they have never seen before. So you are sowing. In fact, this year, we expect one million mini versions of this evangelistic booklet in Ukraine called Eyewitness are going to be distributed in Ukraine. We're doing this booklet now in Romanian 10,000 of them. It's being distributed in Moldova. I mean, places you'll never go. It's totally impacting people. So I urge you to write today for the course with an investment of $45, The Power of Covenant. 
a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.